hello, everyone. Hello, hello. That, that, that music is true. Those words are fact. Um, and I'm glad. If it's your first night with us at CCF, my name is Jeff, and it would be really nice to meet you. I would love to meet you if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. So maybe afterwards you can come say hi. I would really like to meet you. That'd be great. Um, tonight, for our time in the Bible, in this library, which is where we get to know what God's like, um, we're going to start off a little bit differently than we usually do. We're going to start uh, right up front with some community prayer. Um, in, in our CCF family, we try to be alive to current events. And we actually think that God has things to say about what happens in the news and around us, and that he always has. That's something that's unchanging about him. I'm sure all of you uh, followed the news last weekend about the Las Vegas shooting, Sunday night. And as the details kept rolling in, um, I'm sure that many of you felt lots of different things. I felt a lot of things as well. I felt angry. I felt confused. Couldn't get my head around how, why someone would do that. Um, I was talking to a new friend of mine, and he said that he felt afraid. It was a, a freshman I met this year. He said he felt afraid. He said that it's starting to feel more and more like this could happen anywhere, anytime. And he felt like he was like checking over his shoulder more often than usual. Any of you feel that way? Some of you are nodding in the crowd like, yeah, that's how I felt. Um, I, I also felt thankful there were other stories that came in about people who would lay their lives on the line to help save other people. I, heard, I read some really heroic stories about police officers who got people out of there, even Uber drivers who descended on the area to pick people up and get them out of there. So, you know, I felt a lot of, a lot of different things. I'm sure you all did too. So I've asked a couple of, of us, a couple of, of our family to pray for us to start tonight because that's kind of a little bit about what we're going to talk about. And I've asked them to pray for justice, to pray for peace, to pray into this, this darkness and chaos and death that happened in Las Vegas. So I've asked uh, Elia Tercero, one of our interns this year, to pray for us, as well as uh, Tim Cook, who's one of our core leaders and is also a member of the National Guard. I've asked them to stand and pray real loud, just to, to pray into the situation to start off our night, our night together. So, Elia, can you go first, and then Tim, you go next, and just pray real loud so you can hear. Thanks a lot. Um, some nights, I mean, this is night two, right? So some nights at CCF, we're just going to laugh. It's going to be super fun. Other nights, we're going to take seriously some of the heavy things that are real in our world, right? And a lot of nights, we'll do both. Even tonight, after we're done, we're going to go jump in a warehouse stretched wall to wall with trampolines. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, wait till the end, we'll tell you. <laughs> but that's just life. That's community. We take the light with the heavy. That's real life. We do it together. And in this world, there are forces of darkness and chaos and death. And just about everybody recognizes that. No matter what your spiritual background, no matter what your religious convictions or non-religious convictions, everybody recognizes there are dark things in the world 
that are just bad. And really, I mean, honestly, Las Vegas is not the, the, the first bad thing that's happened in the news cycle recently. Yes? There's all kinds of stuff going on. We are still watching a parade of hurricanes level islands south of, southeast of the U.S. and wreck cities along the coast. Mexico had a massive earthquake. There are horrific wars going on in Syria, Yemen, and Burma right now, just to name a few. And it only takes a couple minutes on your phone to hear about them. Maybe you're still reeling from the evil in Charlottesville this summer. Where white supremacist values were chanted in the streets near the University of Virginia. And one of them drove his car into a crowd of counter-protesters and killed somebody. And injured a dozen others. Or maybe you're upset with the recent body cam footage that came from a police shooting in Utah. What do you do in the face of this stuff? It's like a a never-ending stream, a cycle. How do you handle it? How are we supposed to live with this steady buzz of danger and angst humming in the background and on our phones? And it's not, like, it's not like the world is worse than it's ever been. Some things, some things actually are worse, but most things have gotten better. I am not sure that I would rather live in a different time in history than the one right now. Honestly, when I look back at different eras of human development, I don't know if I'd want to live back then. Medicine, lifespan, infant mortality, mental illness, care, education, women's rights, civil rights. There's lots of work to do. But things are generally better than they've been. But it's still not good enough, is it? With all our technology, we couldn't keep Puerto Rico from going underwater. All our modern achievements can't actually transform a white supremacist's heart. And the Bible takes this very seriously, takes this state of affairs very seriously. This library, where God tells us about himself and about life and about what it means to be alive, is very realistic. Thousands of years ago, right at the beginning of this library, right on page one, where God um, was, was, when God's people were just getting to know what he was like, Things were bad back then, real bad. There was darkness, chaos, and death all around them. In the ancient Near East, weather was totally unpredictable. You weren't sure if rain would bring a healthy cultivation of your crops or a flood that would wipe out your fields and starve your family. Without medical advancements, they couldn't figure out what was wrong when their kids got sick. And religious life was all about trying to please whatever powers might be able to do something about all that unpredictability. Everyone was trying to please whatever gods might be able to do something about it. Staying alive was all about cracking the code of getting on their good side so they took care of you. Hoping you didn't misstep and make them rain fire on you. But when God introduced himself to his people, he said, that's actually not what I'm like. The darkness 
and chaos and death are not a game of chance that you may or may not survive depending on your ability to predict the moods of the gods. Let me tell you what this world is really like. Let me tell you how it came to be. So in Genesis 1, God says this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. See, God recognizes that the world starts in disorder and without life. Reality has no form at first. It's empty and it's dark. That's what the world is like apart from him. Without his intervention. And in the Old Testament, deep waters were a symbol of chaos. Oceans were unpredictable at that time. Rivers flooded, lakes dried up. You couldn't count on them. So they were a source of chaos in the ancient world. But God says that even there, his spirit hovered over the chaos. Excited about the life that was about to hatch. And then... God speaks. Now, in most ancient creation stories, there's an enormous battle between the forces of chaos and the forces of order. You can go read them for yourselves. Egyptian, Mesopotamian, and Canaanite origin stories are always colossal battles between the gods. And you're never quite sure who's going to win. And ultimately, the victors aren't any better than the defeated. They just kind of get to make the rules. That's your summary of the weekend of ancient cosmology. But compared to these stories that were all around God's people, God just speaks. No battle, no contest, just God saying, Darkness, you stand over there. I want there to be light. And it happens. And the rest of the creation story, if you continue to read it through Genesis 1, is all about God separating things and filling them with life. It's like he's creating drawers and filling them. Ordering the disorder. Making space for birds and fish and livestock and mountains and sunflowers and streams and the rest of this beautiful world. I got a picture of one of my favorite places on this earth. Yeah. That's Park Butte, just below Park Butte, yep. The, the clouds are covering the tip of Mount Baker up there, but I was just there about four weeks ago. Me and the Lord and the mountain. I camp there as often as I can. It's lovely. And eventually in the creation story, in Genesis 1, where there is no human life, God brings that too. And he talks about humanity like we're his children, Verse 26, then God said, he's still just saying things and they happen, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will steward the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. To be made in God's image is to be his lookalikes. Children look like their parents, don't they? 
Thankfully, all my kids look like mom. Whew. Ministry to them. So it's generally true. That's what this imagery is talking about. Not literally, like every one of us actually looks just like God. That would be a really funky looking God. All our faces, we all look just like him. I don't imagine, that's weird. But what he means is that we're like God in loving what he loves. And in our unique capacity to relate with him and with each other. And we're like him in what he invites us to do. For the rest of the creation story, going on through Genesis 2 even, God says, this world that I have made is not quite finished. It's not completely ordered. There's still some chaos and darkness out there, but I've given it a good start. Now you join me. So there's this command to cultivate, to explore, to fill the earth and organize it. It's an invitation to do what God does while God does it with us. Now, do you hear how contrasting that is? And that would have sounded to the pagan cultures around God's people. In a world of unpredictable death and a chaotic nature and a dark confusion about how to thrive, God says, I made this world and it's lovely. And I made you, and I love you. And this world was not made for darkness or chaos or death. This world was made for light and order and life. Now, you go make it more beautiful. Show me what you can do. That's what kind of the creation mandate is from the creation story in Genesis 1. Now, if God is unchanging, as we've claimed, as this library tells us he is, if God is unchanging, then that means that God is still like that. God is unchanging from the creation story at the very beginning of the Bible to the time when he enters the world in the person of Jesus Christ. So when John one of Jesus' first disciples, when he writes his gospel, it's called, very creatively, the Gospel of John. Could have called it anything else, but let's grab that one. John's Gospel. Which one is that? That's John's. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, if you haven't had a chance to read it yet. John wanted people to understand that Jesus is exactly God, doing exactly the same things he did in Genesis. Look at his intro. This This is the very beginning of John's Gospel. Verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning, whoa, we've heard that before, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We've heard all this before. It's creation, it's light, it's life. There's even stuff in John's intro about becoming God's children. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jumping into verse 12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus in John 1 is the same God as the creator in Genesis 1. That's the point that John's trying to make. He brings the light that darkness cannot overcome. Jesus brings order out of chaos, and he's full of the truth. And he brings life out of death. There's a story about that later in John's Gospel, chapter 11. In John 11, one of Jesus' best friends gets sick. But Jesus doesn't go to him right away. He waits a couple days, and his friend Lazarus dies while he's waiting. So when Jesus finally gets to Lazarus' house, here's what happens. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jumping ahead to verse 20. When Martha, this is Lazarus' sister, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary, his other sister, stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And if you jump down to verse 32, Mary shows up, and she says the very same thing. Verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Continuing on, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. Where have you laid him? He asked Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. The Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor. For he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, get out here. (laughs) The dead man came out. His hands and feet were still wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. That's how you buried people back then. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. In a world of darkness and chaos, And death, that's the kind of God we need. I'm going to need that someday. Because I'm going to die someday. I need a God who can stand at my grave and say, Jeff, come out. This is not the end of your story. 
I need a God who's still stronger than death and darkness and chaos. Don't you? In a world like ours, don't we long for a God who can do something about it? And that's not just true somewhere out there in news headlines. Isn't that true in your own personal life as well? I wonder, when you look in your own life, I wonder what chaos you find. What family baggage have you carried with you into this fall quarter? What strained friendship is pulling at you right now? Anybody have people they love who are suffering? I do. I need a God who can take that and walk through it, even death, like Jesus did at the end of his life, and come out the other side and throw down and say, what now, death? I just killed you. Read the end of all four Gospels. That's what happened. Jesus beats death. But I also need a God who will tend to me until he deals with death. I need a God who isn't just in charge of the end of the story, but who walks with me in the middle of the chaos and darkness and death that I see happening all around me. We need a God just like Jesus. When Martha and Mary complained to him, why weren't you here? Why didn't you do something about this? You notice Jesus does not say, how dare you question me? You notice Jesus does not say, don't you take that tone with me. No. God's word says, when they say those things to him, he is deeply moved. Some people think this is original to Jesus. It's not. God has always allowed complaints like this. Read the Psalms. There is no better example in this entire library that says we're allowed to complain to God when we do not understand. It's invited. It's celebrated. It's preserved in Holy Scripture. He doesn't scold us for being confused by darkness or enraged at chaos, or grieved by death. He weeps with us. He's troubled with us. But he's also not stuck there. When Martha first approaches Jesus, he tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And doesn't that just make sense? If Jesus is the creator God walking around in the first century, the source of light and order and life, doesn't it make sense that death doesn't stand a chance? And if the creator God, when he first made the world, invited his lookalikes to join him in ordering the world more and lightening it up 
and adding life and value to what he had made, don't you think Jesus might just call us still to do the same thing? Is it any wonder that Jesus' people, when they are acting like his people, have always pushed back on darkness and back on chaos and back on death? Around the world, Christians build schools to enlighten people. Christians build hospitals to save lives. Christ's followers follow him in taking action against forces of darkness, chaos, and death. When I was reeling this summer from the events in Charlottesville, I read something powerful from an Anglican priest who I'm getting to know over Facebook. We've been messaging back and forth on the East Coast. He's a teacher at a seminary in Virginia. It's from his essay called, Say It With Your Chest, Proclaiming the Supremacy of Christ in the Face of White Supremacy. It says, I do not expect the world to understand everything about the intricacies of Christian faith, but at least this much must penetrate everyone's conscience. The church believes that all people bear the image of God and therefore must be treated with respect. God's love calls us out from our biases sins, and prejudices into the beloved community whose unity testifies to God's desire to reconcile the world to himself through his son. That's who we want to be in CCF. We want to join God in standing against darkness, chaos, and death in every form it takes, from Charlottesville to Syria, from Washington, D.C., to wherever we find it in Bellingham, Washington. Jesus wants to bring light and order and life to societies around the world. But he also wants to bring it into your life. Many of you know that following Jesus does not make all the darkness go away. Right? That's not what creation's about. It's not what Jesus said would happen. Chaos and darkness are still out there. And still in here, in our own hearts and in our own minds. Following Jesus doesn't automatically fix the world around us. But it does actually start fixing us. It fixes me. Following Jesus means that in the midst of darkness, he can show me the truth. That in the midst of confusion, Jesus can help us have a clear view of what's important. Following Jesus means that in the midst of chaos, He can help order my life so I'm not chaotic. He cares about society. But society is made up of people like you and me. That's who he cares about. So where is there chaos or darkness or death in your life tonight? Where are you confused? Where do you hurt? Where do you see death or suffering or injustice? And what do you want Jesus to do about it? Jesus would love to help the world around you. 
He would love to bring light, order, and life to the people you care about. But he would also like to bring that to you. And he will if you'll let him. For some of you, that means starting to follow Jesus for the first time tonight. Saying, yep, I want that in my life. Jesus, you can be my leader. You can clean up the mess I've made wandering around in the dark so far. You can turn the lights on and clean me up. Others of you, you've been following him for a while. But maybe there's a situation in your life or in the life of someone very close to you that's something chaotic or dark and even deadly that comes to mind when you think about that, when you look at your own life. Bring it to God. Bring it to Jesus. Let him breathe life there. And pray like God's people prayed in the Old Testament, in the Psalms. This is from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. And jumping down to the end of the chapter, the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. You notice there's nothing in that prayer that says none of this stuff will ever happen. Everything will be safe if I follow Jesus. It says, no, when things aren't safe, the God of heaven's armies is with me. And because God is unchanging, Jesus said that we can expect darkness, chaos, and death in this world. But he also says, take heart. It's going to be okay. For I have already overcome this world. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up to get ready. We opened with prayer. This time we're going to close with prayer. But private prayer, just between you and the Lord. I would encourage you, as the music plays, to get something to write on, something to write with, and write down that chaos in your life. Or that darkness, or even that death. Write down what you want Jesus to handle to deal with, to heal, or to push back, or to comfort, or to revive. And ask him to do that. Simple prayers of Jesus, help with this. That's profound conversation with God. And if you want to make a decision to let him be in charge of your life in college for the first time, then write that down. Jesus, Be in charge of my life. Clean me up from the bad things I've done. I am yours. And if you write that, then also find one of those quarter sheet, purple sheets of paper and put down your name and your content information because just like last week, we want to be in touch with you. We want to hear your story. We want to get to know you. We want you to tell us what it's like for you to decide in college, I'm going to follow Jesus. But for all of us, no matter where you find yourself tonight, for all of us, Jesus wants to stand in front of our darkness, our chaos, our death. And he wants to speak life and light and order into it. 
just like he did at creation, just like he did at Lazarus' tomb. He wants to do that for you tonight. So the band's going to play for a little bit, and you write it down, you talk to Jesus about it, and then we'll sing. Let me pray for you. Yeah, Jesus, we need a God just like you. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for saying, yep, that's me. I'm here. Talk to me. I'm the same God who stood in front of Lazarus' tomb. I'm the same God who spoke something out of nothing at the very beginning. I stand in front of you tonight, and I want to breathe on you. I want to shine my truth on you. I want to organize the chaos in your life. I want to heal you so you can join me in helping to heal the people around you. Jesus, as we encounter you and as we process this with you, invite you to talk, invite us to listen, invite us to talk back to you. Thank you that you are actually this kind of God. There is no other God like you. And we love you. We love you for it.